The Accounting Insider with Kim Nitschke. I'm Andrew Montessi with Kim Nitschke for another episode of Accounting Insider. And we're going to continue a discussion that we started in episode 10, where, Kimbo, we were going through your favorite book, Seven Steps to Wealth by John Fitzgerald, just unpacking a few of the key points and you adding your insight um, to some of the, the key points that John raises. So we've been through a few points, but we're going to continue on a couple of the other highlights. Uh, one of them in particular, which I know you have some good stories about and some good insights, is finance, getting finance and setting yourself up to borrow as much as possible. Can you perhaps talk through this one? Okay, so the key to property investing is the ability to borrow from the bank. So that's your ability to raise finance. Now, the number one criteria in any finance raising uh, situation is coming up with a really good valuation from a valuer. Now, that valuation is the all-important document when you are going to the bank. They want to see what an independent valuer has valued that property at. Now, if you sit down and you reflect on that, there's a number of ways where you can sort of almost outsmart the system. So what you can do is you can, uh, you can ring up the banks, the big four banks, and you can ask them for a list of the valuers on their valuation panel. Then what you can do is you can shop around and pay for the valuations yourself, which no one thinks of because when you're buying a house, right, it all just happens behind the scenes. But the, the bank's actually giving an amount of money to each of those valuers to do that report. It's very, very cheap. We're talking like 200 bucks to do a valuation. Okay. So what you can do is if you're clever is you can go on behind the scenes, approach these, valu- uh, these valuation firms and get them to do a valuation. And you can line them up in your office on your desk and say, well, there's the three valuations. Which number am I happiest with? Number three has come up with the number that I'm after. You flick that onto the bank and they will treat it as though it was their valuation. Money in the bank. <laughs> well, it's more like getting money out of the bank. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's a done deal that they'll lend you. Provided you've got the cash flow to support the loan, they'll give you 80 to 90% yeah. of what it says on that report. So, what are some of the other benefits of a DIY valuation? Like, how do you actually enhance the valuation? Okay, so I've got one, one of my customers who, she's a very clever girl. She will get a copy of the valuation from one of these valuation firms, say it was done two or three years ago, and she will type it out on her computer. She will look at the comparative sales in the area. You can, you can ring up the local real estate agent and get a printout of all the last 20 houses that have sold in that suburb for the last 12 to 18 months. And then she will drive past each of those properties and work out the highest ones, obviously, but the most relevant ones to her valuation that she's doing. That is absolute gold because you're giving her report and often the valuer will pick it up word for word in his report. Because you've got to understand, these guys are doing probably 10 valuations a day. So if they've got one out of the 10 all typed up with all the comparative sales all sitting on their desk, they're going to just turn around, type in on their computer, just on the quiet, yeah. <laughs> what someone else has done for them. Because it, it's, very, it's, very, um, it's very unlikely that they'll be caught out on this. And, and if she's got her facts straight, 
then why question what she's come up with? Now, he's obviously, he's not going to take her word as gospel, so he's going to do some research himself. But if he's looking at her list and it looks around the mark, he'll just take it. And what I've found She's is made it as easy as possible for She's him. made it as easy as possible for him. She's still paying them their fee, but she probably shouldn't be, but, but she is. And what you're finding is in her valuation, they'll come in around $20,000, amazingly, higher or lower than what the valuation... Uh, to what the actual valuation says. So that's what I call a real DIY valuation. What are some of the other key elements that valuers consider when they're coming up with a valuation? Well, they're going to look at um, location, street appeal, um, proximity to schools, proximity to shopping centres, all those sort of factors, which I think we've talked touched on in previous yeah. episodes. Um, you want to make sure that the house is... Neat and tidy. Um, all the dishes are put away. You know, you've swept the backyard. The pool's been cleaned. Yeah. All of that. The practical the stuff. The practical yeah, stuff. Okay. Um, it's often good to go through with the valuer at the time of the valuation. That's a highly recommended mm. strategy. Don't just give them the keys and send them off on their way. Because when you're walking around the property, you can be telling them all the benefits. You know, you're basically selling the house to them as, they were a prospective, as if they were a prospective buyer. Okay. And just to go back a step, you mentioned shopping around, contacting a few banks. Is this the role of a broker as well? Yeah, so Fitzy's pretty good in his book. He says, look, go to a broker because they are so good at their craft. And, and like us, we've got 35 banks on our panel. We know the rule book back to front. We know exactly which deal is going to suit each investor. So why go down to your local um, Westpac branch and deal with a local bank manager when you're looking at one product when you could be missing out on 34 other products which might, might be more suitable to your situation. Um, just one other point that I want to mention while we're talking finance is um, this is a really thinking outside the square sort of concept. But Good, this is typical Kim <laughs> here. It's typical me, but I've got a situation where I bought a house, I didn't have the deposit but I had enough equity or um, gap or fat or whatever in another property that I owned so that I could borrow 80% of the value of the new house and my deposit, which would normally be 20%, was picked up in the fact that I had enough gap between the market value and the amount I owed on another property. So effectively, I was borrowing 100%. I went further than that and I also borrowed for the stamp duty. So I borrowed 105%, right? Mm. I bought this place. Didn't have any money. Bought it. In eight years' time, it's doubled in value, right? So that house cost 600, 620,000. The, the one next door, which wasn't as good as mine, just recently sold for 1.2. Wow. So I've picked up $600,000. Now, you only cash this in if you sell it, but... I've picked up $600,000 using money I didn't have. So that's like an infinite return on your investment. <laughs> all of a sudden, I had nothing. Yeah, you haven't had to spend anything. And I've got $600,000 worth of profits there should I choose to cash in. So this finance idea is so powerful. Mm. And when you get the numbers right, and when you get the properties right, it's, your p potential is almost unlimited. But you, and you have mentioned to me 
before that what you can borrow determines how fast you can grow. Absolutely. That's right. So the, the, the name of this game is finance. You're using other people's money. Um, the amount you can borrow, how fast you grow, how many properties you can buy, how quickly you can buy them, what value they're all worth is all dependent on your ability to raise finance. Now, if you're on the nose of the banks, you're going nowhere. But if you're monitoring your credit record, making sure there's no blemishes there, or if you've got an Optus bill that you haven't paid, you're ringing up Optus very politely and saying, can you please take that off my credit record because it's making it awfully difficult for me to mm. borrow money <laughs> to buy a you know, six $700,000 house when you've got a $30 default on your <laughs> credit record. You know, So when you get it all together and it works really well, your ability to grow gets faster and faster and faster. And wh- when you get your numbers right, you should be in a position where you can buy a new house every couple of years. Mm. Okay. Mm. And what about the next point? Affordability. So the ability to, you know, invest in the most affordable deals. Yeah, so the concept here is that it's better to buy three houses at 600000 as opposed to one house at $1.8 million. Okay, why? The, the reason is that property has cycles, goes up and down. When it's going up, everyone's doing well. When it goes down, the first ones to drop off are the houses at the top end. So it's much more stormproof, I guess, if you like, to be able to buy a $600,000 house and expect it to go to 800000 than to buy a $1.8 million house and expect it to go to 2.4. Right? Yep. Well, sorry, I'm talking about the $600,000 house times three. Yep. Right, so if you look at any downturn, the median house really even in a property so-called crash will drop less than 10 percent and there's a number of factors which are causing are causing um, this phenomenon to take place the reason is because there's much more demand at the bottom end than there is at the top and if you look at the the um, the factors behind who's actually putting up their hands at the auction and bidding in the lower stratosphere compared to the higher stratosphere, there's a lot more people in there. You've got your immigrants, your students, your young couples, your single parents. They're all vying for their first house, right? And if you're in that space, then you've got obviously a lot more demand than there is for supply. When you move up into that upper echelon, you've really generally only got families and they're clever because they've done a number of property transactions and they are happy to wait, you know? So, they expect a lot for their money and they are ready to pounce when property property prices drop off and banks um, realise their exposure is increasing when they're lending a lot more on one particular house. So their lending criteria changes as you go up and borrow more money. So whereas you might be able to borrow 80% on a house that's um, sub 800000 what you'll find with a lot of lenders is when you go up over... million, they might only lend 70%. So it gets harder and harder as you go up. Mm. So there's a lot of factors which suggest that um, buying at the bottom end is better. More people can afford the rent too, so you've got Mm. a a bigger pool of people that you're going to be renting that property to. Yeah, it just—it always seems that those high-end properties, they seem to sit on the market forever. Forever, do they ever. Yeah, and then, you know, someone needs to pitch the story in the advertiser to promote their big... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the big bloody house that's been on the market for a year. Right. Anyway, little side note. But you always look to aim for just above the median price. Yeah. So if you're looking at Adelaide at the moment, the median house price for March 2016 is 445000 Yeah. 
And why, and why do you, I mean, why do you look at Adelaide as a nice little example of... Because I know it so well, but this principle would apply to Sydney, Melbourne. You know, if you're looking at Sydney and Perth, probably double that number, and you're looking at a similar number to the median house over there. So all the principles we're talking about apply just as well over there. It's just that <coughs> the numbers for you and me are more relevant when you're talking in, ad, in the Adelaide space. Yeah, and we, we do apologise to our overseas listeners for this. You're um, people in Belgium and... Um, Ho Chi Minh and all those people that are listening. So, hi guys. But however, if you are looking to invest in Australian property, guys, uh, contact Kim Nitschke. Anyway, <laughs> side note, I've got distracted. Yeah, so getting back to it, with that 445000 if you look at what suburbs you could afford to buy a house at that price in Adelaide, you're probably going to have to head out north-west mm. or west. I'd be saying spend a little bit more than the median, go up to maybe 600 touch above and that'll put you smack bang in the eastern suburbs and you'll find that you'll get um, purely uh, a better type of renter in terms of um, more stable, more professional, less chance they're going to trash the house. We've covered all of that before in previous yeah. episodes but I just feel safe for investing in the eastern suburbs. So I'm, I'm just flying a little bit above the medium. You're such an eastern suburbs guy. <laughs> Always comes back to the eastern suburbs. <laughs> when, when I had my first house knocked down to me at auction, the agent came up to me after the um, auction and patted me on the back and he said, well done, mate, you've bought an entree to the eastern suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> and I do apologise that I've actually brought you out of the eastern suburbs today and we're in the CBD. It's, you know, it must be distressing for you. <laughs> anyway, your next point is... Be all you can be. What do you mean by that? Be all you can be, which is another name for giving back. Okay. So we go back to the book. Seven Steps to Wealth. Seven Steps to Wealth. Fitzy. 2003. Fourth edition just quietly too. Is Fitzy listening to this, do you think? I think he would. Fitzy, if you're out there, send us an email, drop us a note, give us a... (laughs) Give us a hoy. Give us a hoy that you enjoy Let's have a frothy at the pub. In the eastern suburbs, of course. (laughs) Because the book is so... Old, it's actually as a new phenomenon. I'll come to that in a second. But Fitzy is channeling his profits from all of his property deals back into the Tugalawa Children's Home, which is a foster home for about 140 kids mm. up on the Gold Coast. Awesome. Now he set it up in 2013. So as I was preparing for our podcast, I googled it just to make sure it was still open. <laughs> is it? It is. <laughs> it's alive and well. Yeah. And the, the website looks great. There's still kids up there. They're having a great old time. So, you know, that's part of his legacy. And that's a tribute to Fitzy that he set it up. He's still going strong. It's still surviving 13 years later. It's powering on. But <clears throat> this whole idea of giving back is, you know, it, it's a biblical concept, which is really not being greedy and, and um, making your time and your resources available for other people um, who are maybe not, at the same stage you are at, but they might be starting out in a bit, bit um, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> life might be a bit more of a struggle for them. Yeah. But but this this applies in so many avenues of life. Like I remember, uh, and a classic example is four weeks ago, uh, often around at a mate's house. There's a gorgeous house up in the Adelaide Hills, and the fence. He's got a gorgeous ha- fence, but it's the entrance to the property, and it's the first thing you notice when you go in there. And one of the rails was broken. And I mentioned to to him a couple of times, you know, mate, you should just fix up that rail. Every time I drive in, I notice it. 
And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 I'll get around to it. Anyway, I bumped into him at some show in the city and I said, look, are you okay if I just fix it up myself? Now, this is an accountant fixing up a wooden fence in his driveway. Yeah. What would I know about fencing? Well, I was raised on the well, phone. Well, that, but he's probably thinking that you're going to send him a bill for it as well. <laughs> probably. He just looked at me and he said, look, go for it. So I went to Bunnings, measured it all up, and I found the part that he needed to re- repair this fence. It was $7. So I went to Bunnings, bought it, sat in my car for about two weeks, and then I was driving past his property with my kids, and I said, guys, we're doing a quick detour. Just bear with me. And they're sitting in the car, whinging and complaining. <laughs> what are you doing, Dad? <laughs> what are we doing? And I said, mate, just bear with me. So I, I raced over to the fence, jacked it all up. I had to get one of the kids out to give me a hand to hold it up while I screwed it all together. Did it, jumped in the car, and we disappeared. No one saw me doing it. It was all done on the QT. <laughs> anyway, lo and behold, the phone rings that night. Have you fixed our fence? It looks amazing. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I thought, oh, you know, that was nice. Next day, card, bottle of French champagne and some nice red arrives on the front doorstep. Wow. It was just... For, know, se- for a seven-buck part. I probably got like $150 worth of wine given back to me. That's, and then that's the next amazing. time I bumped into him, he was almost in tears thanking me. I didn't actually realise this, but he told me that his wife had actually been nagging him about it yeah. <laughs> for ages. And he was saying, yeah, yeah, when I get around to it. Yeah. So that's just one aspect of just giving back, helping back, helping and, out and your mates. Pr- and it's such a good lesson for your kids as well. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, I think the person who got the, mo- the biggest shock was my wife because she said, have you been doing some fencing? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, there, there's other ways that you can do it as well. Like, So in my accountancy practice, we have quite a few hard luck stories. So we do a fair bit of pro bono Am work. I one of those? <laughs> Not at all, <laughs> you're a superstar. <laughs> no, but we do a fair bit of pro bono work and, and that, um, it's amazing the coincidence between doing that and not saying anything about it and then 12 to 18 months down the track, someone hearing about what you've done through mm. that person, you know, that person obviously mm. feels as though they're majorly indebted to you, which they're not, but, and then... A, l- a large client will walk through the door as a result of that pro bono work. It's about being genuine, isn't it? Yeah, and we're not doing it for that, but it's it, it's ironic that it happens on a regular basis. Mm. And yeah, so there's just living that way, you're naturally going to reap those benefits that are going to impact your business. And then from a real practical level, obviously contributing to charities and so forth has a tax benefit as well. So... Exactly. Not that you, if that's your main motivation, that's... Um, you know, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. Mm. But it's just another little sweetener as well. On that, on, on the topic of giving back, and this is without notice, Kim, but <laughs> you mentioned that you are looking for a junior at your office. Yes. So why not put the word out on Accounting Insider? Um, to maybe one of, the, one of your listeners in Belgium might want to fly in for it because it's such a great opportunity. <laughs> yeah, so if you're out there and you're a... Um, person looking to embark on an accounting career send in your resume they've obviously got to have the right attitude and i think if they're listening to your podcast that's a great first step they've clearly got the attitude and a willingness to learn exactly they have and uh, yeah mention that in the application because that will go a yep. long way you go to the top of the pile you, if they we've got a form set up on accountinginsider.net 
where you can send a note through, but also there's the Nitschke Nancaro website, which is nitschkenancaro.com.au. Just Google it. Yeah, it's going to come. Don't type it. it. Yeah, you'll find it. Thanks for listening. Thank you. You've been listening to the Accounting Insider Podcast with Kim Nitschke. 